Welcome to MoneyWeb Now. Business news every morning. It's Monday, 8 January. Happy New Year. When's the cutoff for saying that? Right now. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, chatting with Wayne McCurry from F&B Wealth and Investment. U.S. job starter on Friday, another good number. So what about rates? When do they start coming down? And then I want to touch on them around commodities in 2024. We're chatting with Rolly van Rennen. He is from Beef Master Group. Uh, it was a challenging 2023 for the beef industry. What about 2024? Cornelius Zeman, he from Fairtree, local trend of using of splitting uh, local and offshore asset managers. Uh, Is that a good idea? He thinks not. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. Could 2024 be the year the RAND recovers some glory? Lost 9% last year, 17% over the last two years. Is this going to be its year? I don't know. Elections everywhere. It's going to be tough. Business day. Progress at Durban Port, says Maersk. Uh, progress in clearing congestion suggests turnaround plans announced in November are starting to bear fruit. I was in Durban. There are a lot of boats out offshore waiting. Morning markets. US was green on Friday. S&P and Nasdaq both up 0.2%. Over in the east it's red. Sydney down a third. Tokyo closed for coming of age day. Hong Kong off 2% and Tencent down 2.2%. Commodities all red. Gold 2047. Brent 7787. Platinum 971. Palladium 1025. Rand 1872. Bitcoin 43,300. And top 40 opening call down 50 points or just under 0.1%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Chatting now with uh, Wayne McCurry, Senior Portfolio Manager, FMB Wealth and Investments. Uh, Wayne, appreciate the early morning. Uh, jobs data out from the US on Friday, including unemployment data. Uh, frankly, looking at the jobs data, the US economy remains strong. Now, look, it certainly was strong, but you've got to, as per normal, you've got to mm. dig a little bit deeper into the numbers. So, the month was up, but they revised the previous two months down by 72-odd thousand jobs. You know, so if you look at a three-month period, it doesn't paint quite as rosy a picture as just looking at the one month. But, of course, the biggest problem there was that the monthly earnings was expected to be up 0.3%. It was up 04 Yeah, That's a little bit concerning for inflation. But, of course, you know, once again, it's one month's data. You know, you you... It's not as though a 0.4% is exactly hyperinflationary, <laughs> but it would be a little bit of concern, yes. It, it, it would pop up, I imagine, on, on the Fed's radar. But we did see, uh, yes. before we all went on, on break last year, uh, Jerome Powell and his team essentially saying, hikes are over, uh, pauses on, Correct. cuts are starting. I mean, how, I mean, some of the market is saying March for cuts in the US. I mean, is, is that, I suppose it's possible. What, what do you put to likelihood of that? Look, I think it's actually quite high. I think the rate cuts will come quite quickly because I think the U.S. economy is going to show, you know, signs of weakness. Of course, the share market loved that speech and it went up hugely, especially the mining shares and the platinum shares. You know, since the start of this year, it's given a lot of that back already. When you look at the RAND, the RAND got down to about 1820. You know, it's now 1870. So maybe a little bit of the euphoria of that speech is as, as worn off. 
in the in the couple of trading days so far this year. Yeah, some 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 rarity coming home. Uh, let's quickly touch on on commodities. Last year was a tough year for commodities. You and I talk a lot about it. It is a mm. cyclical sector. Of that, there is there is no no doubt. I mean, looking ahead for the year, I mean, if if we have if we have got sort of I don't know, global economies maybe just doing all right. Uh, I don't know. Is it all about China? Where do you see commodities going into twenty four? Well, look, I think this is going to be the year of commodities and the year for commodity shares because, you know, as we, as you said earlier on, this is a cyclical phenomenon mm-hmm. and we've had the down cycle now for a good couple of years. And if interest rate cuts are coming and we are at the peak, that is normally the signal for a turnaround in commodity shares, commodity prices and the rand. So hopefully that has come to pass this year. And and what we would see, and this is the classic part of commodities, is as those prices increase, we get the leverage effect into the into the platinum stocks, the etc., who have had that uh, horror year. Correct. Yes, correct. Quite quite right. Yes. We'll leave it there. Wayne McCurry, senior portfolio manager, F and B Wealth and Investments. Wayne, appreciate the early morning and our poll today on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. What are you expecting from commodities in 2024? Wayne says, "Yep, this is going to be the year." And if it is, if those commodities start to run. They don't have to move a lot, but if they start moving higher, you're going to see those shares absolutely booming. Are you bullish? Do you think it's going to be a mixed bag or perhaps you remain bearish on commodities? Have your vote. Have your say. LinkedIn, Twitter. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. Chatting now with uh, Rolly von Ruin, and he's supply chain executive at the Beef Master Group. Rolly, appreciate the early morning. Looking back first at last year, 2023, one of the big challenges for the, 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 I mean, the beef industry, I mean, a, a lot, but certainly foot and mouth disease. How's that been contained as we move into 2024? Is that largely sort of something we can leave behind in last year? Good morning, Simon. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And uh, the sun's been up for quite some time, so it's not that early yet. <laughs> I know where you live. <laughs> Simon, yes, uh, 2023 has indeed been one of the roughest that I've seen in my short life. Uh, the true effects of the 2022 foot and mouth outbreak we saw actually in 23, yeah. with um, most of the price declines and the loss of markets and the true effect of that. Now, you're talking about containment. It has been very quiet. Uh, which is very positive that uh, this disease and the outbreak has been thoroughly uh, is being thoroughly contained at this point in time. We would we do uh, would like to see some more of the areas being lifted of the of the ban. Um, obviously, that is still evident in the report from the government that there is still some areas that are being contained. Uh, looking forward from there on, the government has done very well in the negotiation with the China agreement in that we have uh, basically been able to compartmentalize and from there we're looking forward to exports in 2024 hopefully that'll commence soon now that being said as well the we have received some news of movement on the saudi agreement which is also quite uh, positive we're looking forward 
that that should also happen soon within the next six months. In Saudi Arabia, a note you'd put out late last year, I mean, they haven't, they haven't been buying beef for us in 21 years. That, that's going to be significant. And, and, and getting exports, we used to be, a, I mean, way back in the day, we were an importer of beef. Now we are an exporter, and, and new markets gives us, gives us great opportunity. Correct. We've moved from a net importer to a net exporter, which means we produce too much beef for this country to consume, and which is great for farmers and it's mm-hmm. great for our industry that we are able to uh, up our production to such an extent we actually have to export. That being that, we need those markets. We need good markets. Unfortunately, China um, is in a bit of a recess at this point in time. The economy is not too strong. The people are, do have a few problems. We saw that with uh, products like uh, Lucerne, so for instance, where the dairy industry in China is under strain, and they're not taking the Lucerne that they did in 2022 and 23. Mm. Now, um, if we look at Saudi, it's been 21 years. For me, that's a new market. It's a new playing field, and we are very excited. Given that the Saudi uh, economy is so strong at this point in time and the, all the development that they're planning, and we see that every day and what they're trying to build in that country, it is totally amazing. So that uh, is a, a true opportunity for us to expand thoroughly. What about we've got wars in the Middle East, we've got war in, in, in Ukraine. Were those markets that we were selling to that are now, I, I suppose, problematic? I mean, war is not good for demand or logistics at all. Yes, that is very true. The tourist industry in the Middle East have been under strain due to those wars. We've also had problems with uh, shipping and whereby supporting countries uh, like Yemen, so for instance, was, uh, you know, about the bombing mm-hmm. of the ships for with the drones. Now, obviously, if you have to send product into that area, that is a bit problematic if those ships turn around with a product that is perishable. It does create uh, logistical issues, but we're managing around that, and I'm sure it's not uh, something that cannot be overcome at this point in time. Hey, you, you mentioned that, I mean, uh, logistics. I mean, obviously, we've got the, the issues at, at, at the ports. I mentioned that in my intro to, to this morning's show. We've also got the ESCOM challenge, and I think a lot of folks are like, come on, beef farming, the cows just wander around and eat. But it's abattoirs. I mean, there is a demand there. You do need power, and, of course, load shedding is, is not helping the industry at all. Yes, we have... Uh maybe become used to managing yeah. all these extreme difficulties I mean, that we don't really notice that anymore. Like load shedding and Kimberley municipality has had water issues. Mm. We've struggled around that. So uh, it, it is definitely not an easy playing field <laughs> at this point in time. But like I said, we might be just not noticing all of these things anymore. I, I have always said farming's the toughest thing, so probably yeah, a little more tough is not fun, but something that sort of comes with the with with, with the terrain. If we look forward to twenty twenty four, I mean, th- there's a lot there to be to be positive around. I mean, you mentioned those new export markets coming up uh, locally. Hopefully, a consumer who's been under severe pressure, and I imagine cutting back on their protein simply because of budget constraints, we could see that easing up. Are you, I suppose, cautiously optimistic going into the year. Yes, cautious, optimistic, um, looking going to 2024, we need to keep the belts tight. Yeah. Um, my father taught me that, but the fact is is that it is unsure, it's uncharted waters, we don't really know. Um, keep, your belt, keep the belt tight, uh, let's manage through this one. If it goes well, it's going to go very well. If it doesn't go well, we're going to manage through that one again. Now, if uh, we look at the broader spectrum in the agricultural sector for 24. Yes, there is some concerns about the El Nino and that we're looking mm. at a dry year. Fortunately, we've been blessed with good rains over this uh, Christmas period. That is very positive, and from what I understand, that most of the harvests are in. 
And harvest for us as a beef industry is a base commodity whereby we need that product. So we're very positive that uh, that looks uh, pretty good at this point in time. Uh, as for beef, we, we are looking forward uh, to a good year that that is possible. Unfortunately, we have seen a lot of the industry being under such strain and uh, that ha there has been some downsizing in certain parts of our industry, which is concerning, but it will also create opportunities for new role players also to participate in the market. I, I take your point. Uh, a, a tough period and, and, and some folks just cut back. Truthfully, some probably don't even make it. We'll leave it there. Rolly van Ruyen and Supply Chain Executive Beef, Mo Beef Master Group. Appreciate the time. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Training now with uh, Cornelius Seaman, uh, Equity Portfolio Manager and Analyst at Fairtree. Cornelius, appreciate the early morning note that you sent out uh, towards the end of last year, just before we all went on the break. A trend amongst local investors to split asset managers between local and offshore. In other words, having a, a dedicated local fund manager and then a dedicated offshore fund manager you're saying sure you can see the logic behind it but perhaps you're not convinced you do you think there's potential challenges here and truthfully might actually put a drag on performance overall morning simon yes thanks for having me yeah we think combining these two um capabilities makes a lot of sense if you think about the global economy and markets mm. they're all integrated with mutual drivers and dependencies um and there's a lot of asset allocation efficiencies and security selection efficiencies that can be gained of combining the local and the global component. If you think about the JSE, less than 35% of revenues or earnings are derived from the SA economy. So you can't really invest successfully in the JSE if you don't understand what's happening in China because there's 70% of demand mm -hmm. of other resources of our resources, NASPAS and process, obviously very dependent on China. And USA set the tone for global monetary policy and equity rating. So if, if, if you trust the manager um, in terms of their investment philosophy, process and capacity, they should be able to express their views more effectively using a wider investment universe to choose from. And then you can generate alpha from security selection, sector allocation, as well as geographical allocation. I, I, I take your point on that, and I like the phrase there wider. It, it, it's taking a, a, a complete overview of the portfolio, um, because if you take uh -huh. off a part and say someone else go manage the offshore component, there might, be, there might be areas that are being missed because one party thinks the other is, or, or perhaps areas that are being duplicated or, or themes that are being missed. And it, it's that holistic view by managing both in, 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 one, in one portfolio, one house. Yes, exactly. If, if you have everything in one portfolio, you have proper see-through in terms of what your true geographical exposure is. If you think about the Magnificent Seven, everyone um, labels them as U.S. tech companies, but mm. they actually drive 40% of their earnings from international markets. So you can't just look at um, your fund managers and 
um, look at the holdings and where they listed, you need to have a see-through approach to, to see how, how much do I really have in the U.S. or China. And um, if you pick a local manager and he likes um, British American tobacco and you pick an offshore manager and he likes um, Philip Morris and BTI, for example, then you may be doubling up on certain themes that um, you, you don't really want. Um, or um, if the local manager has a lot of process and assets, we know it's a big um, mm-hmm. share in the market. And your offshore manager also likes um, JD.com and Barba. Again, you're doubling up on themes. Um, so I think yeah. to get proper diversification, um, you, you really want these building blocks together. Yeah, no, I take that up, and it, it is it, it's it's missing, and it's of course doubling up potentially on stuff. And and there's no a lot of folks are thinking, oh well, the South African asset managers or, or, or local fund managers are, are are really good at South Africa, but the, the rest of the world's challenging. There's no reason why why a local manager should be a disadvantage when when looking at global markets. We don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe it was true a decade or two ago, mm-hmm. but we think digitalization has really shrunk the world, and the internet has democratized information. Um, especially now post-COVID, you can um, just quickly jump on a Zoom call with management or sell side. Um, all of us attend offshore conferences, either in person or a lot of the conferences have gone hybrid format. So we don't think information access or management access is the problem. It's actually we have too much information <laughs> and it's all about maintaining a proper investment process and philosophy to sift through all of it and not becoming too distracted. Um, and, but, but to be fair to the allocators or investors, we, we do think um, local managers haven't done themselves favors um, by building up um, long and good track records. But I think context um, is important here. If we think about REC 28, um, mm-hmm. offshore allowance was only relaxed in 2010 to 25%, then in and 2018 went to 30%, and then sort of overnight, um, somewhat as a surprise, it jumped to 45% in 2022. Mm. So historically, the offshore component was quite small, um, which didn't really justify building up big equity teams to focus on on all of these um, securities and sectors, because it's a very vast universe. Um, But we think this is now changing. We can see a lot of people are investing more in the offshore capabilities. And um, I think historically it was okay just to invest in a few offshore shares. Most of these shares um, outperformed the JSE because the JSE hasn't really done very well over the last seven or so years. But if, if the allocators really do a proper attribution, then they probably found that these offshore shares didn't outperform the offshore benchmark. And that's why we think um, they're now trying to split it. But we, we think this will change, and um, we really think it's the way to way forward to combine these. Yeah, and it's a great point about Reg 28. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, it's almost doubled in, what, a decade or so, which, which really has required a, a change of mindset, a change of skills, a change of capacity. We'll leave it there. Cornelia Seaman, Equity Portfolio Manager and Analyst. Fetri, appreciate the early morning.
That's it for today. Remember our poll on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, commodities. Are you bullish for commodities for 2024? Uh, If they do do well, we can expect a great year for the local market. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWare website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nubuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, Income Funds in 2024. Listen to the live stream of MoneyWeb Now the same time every weekday. For more business, finance, and investment news. MoneyWeb Now on the money. Also available on podcast.